On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, we'll hear from the man who worked with Kirk Cousins in Washington, 49ers head coach Kyle Shanahan. Then he'll be followed by the man who signed Kirk Cousins, Vikings general manager Rick Spielman. And then the man whose job it will be to stop Kirk Cousins this year, Detroit Lions head coach Matt Patricia. But first, Kyle Shanahan. So what was it like for the 49ers to go out and have the busy offseason that they did, Kyle, adding Richard Sherman, Jarek McKinnon, and Weston Richburg, amongst others, this offseason? I guess we'll start with Richard Sherman and the pursuit there. It was fun. You know, we, we know we knew we wanted to add a corner going into this offseason, went through all the options. Um, Richard came available a few days before free agency. We had some plans on what we wanted to do free agent-wise um, once that started that Wednesday, but he came available on a Friday, and the fact that uh, he flew down that Friday night, got to have a good dinner with them, and um, they negotiated out a contract on Saturday, so it was a hell of a deal three days before free agency getting Richard Sherman. It made it a lot more fun going, or a lot less stressful going into Wednesday. He comes in Friday. Did you actually think that you two would go un- recognized in northern california that nobody would see richard sherman visiting with you and your wife well he had a hood on which covered his dreads and everything so i thought he wouldn't stick out as much and no one really notices me out there so i don't i don't get expect um, noticed that much so i thought we'd be all right but i was definitely wrong and then friday Uh night i see all of a sudden it shows up on twitter that richard sherman and kyle shanahan having dinner when you left that dinner did you think that that deal would be getting done the next day. No, not at all. I thought um, I thought it would eventually. You know, anytime you got a guy coming off an injury um, who had surgery, I think three weeks prior um, on one of his um, for his bone spurts. When you have that situation, he just got let go the day before, and it's his first trip. Very rarely does something happen that fast, and that's what was so cool because um, Richard really wanted to get something done, and we did obviously too. And when you're in that situation, especially coming off the injury, it's hard for a club to show a big commitment, and it's hard for the player to show a big risk. But you know, I think it was cool that the Niners, you know, to dedic- to guarantee over five million dollars at that time, you know, three weeks from injury, and for Richard to put some pressure on himself or um, a situation where he has to come in and be healthy and play. Um, it put pressure on both sides, and it was a little gift from both sides, and that's why we were able to get it done. What's the biggest thing that he will bring to the 49ers? Um, well, one, I mean, his, his just his ability. I mean, he's a Pro Bowl co- corner. He's played at a very high level for a long time, um, and to get that type of player out there, it's very needed. We needed that last year, and it'll help to have that going into this year. Um, but having a guy with his knowledge, his experience of the game, um, how important football is to him, how important his legacy is to him, he, he's not just playing to play he's not playing just for the money he he really enjoys this game and um it means a lot to him and he i've always noticed that by how he plays but getting to talk to him and hear from him personally uh you it's it's not a secret why he's so successful now jared mckinnon the running back you signed away from minnesota also an interesting case study here because the buccaneers were interested in his services the jets were interested in his services yeah. and when the free agent wave ended Jarek McKinnon became the highest-paid running back in free agency, which I think would have surprised some people. What did you see in Jarek McKinnon that put him into that spot where he did become the highest-paid running back in free agency? Well, it's um, it's a lot more simple than, than people think. I mean, you look at all the free agent running backs that are available, and you evaluate them. And, you know, we, we liked um, Jarek more than anyone. He was our top guy. And it surprised me, too, because anytime someone doesn't have a ton of stats and everything, I'm always thinking that maybe I'm the only one who's going to see him that way, that, all right, and we'll get this guy middle of the middle of the pack compared to all the other free agents, but we'll be excited because we think he's the best one. And then you go through negotiations like that, and, you know, it wasn't a secret. Other teams saw it on tape, too. And um, But he was our target. That's the guy we wanted. And, you know, you the market and 
a lot of I think that means we were right. I mean, other teams saw them the same way, and the market was what it is, and um, we did what we needed to get a good player. So what role do you envision for Jarek McKinnon in San Francisco this season? Well, he's coming in. He's our starting running back. Um, I don't care what running back you are, though. You're never going to do that on your own. So he's going to need help from other people in that group. But I expect him to help us in the run game a ton, and I expect him to do in the pass game what he's always done, if not more. He's been a great third down back in this league, and we plan on using him that way. But uh, we also ex- expect to bring him in and him run the ball for us well, too. And what will Weston Richburg, the offensive lineman that you added from the Giants, bring to your offense? Um, very similar to Jarek. You know, we wanted to um, improve the interior of our own line. And when we looked at all the guards and the centers available in free agency, we thought that he was the best player, and especially for what we want to do schematically. Um, when it comes to a center reaching a shade and things like that in our outside zone um, I thought he was an ideal fit we all thought he was an ideal fit for what we do it reminded me a ton of Alex Mack when we went for him at Atlanta and I saw it as a very similar situation I know what Alex did for our team out there and I see Richburg um, similar to that type of player how do you put into words what Jimmy Garoppolo has meant to the organization I think, um, you know, it was the timing when he came in. You know, we were really wanting to find a quarterback of his caliber. Um, you know, he came in and excited everybody, but there was a lot of unknown. You know, he had only played in two games. Everyone knew the ability he had and his, his throwing ability. Getting him in the building, everyone getting to meet the guy. Um, everyone really enjoyed his personality, who he is as a man. And then once he got on that field, you know, the way he played, the way he did it each week, he got better each week. We know we threw him in a tough situation. So did the players because he didn't have the, the time to really know everything that he was doing, know the offense inside and out. He didn't stress about it. He didn't make excuses. He just went out there and played well and got better each week. And so the guys around him. Now, John Lynch said recently that your master plan was to bring in Kirk Cousins. <laughs> How long did it take you to get over the fact that your master plan could not be deployed? Uh, it, it took about three weeks, <laughs> to be honest with you. Three weeks. In, in terms of... Um, he had to go out there and play. And we were, we were, I thought we were in a good situation after our first year in terms of record wise, we weren't a good, weren't in a great situation, but I thought we were in a good situation to find a very good quarterback. We, Jimmy kind of fell into our laps for a second round pick and we, I knew how talented he was from college, spent a lot of time on him. Uh, we loved his two games we evaluated. So once we knew we could get him for a second round pick, that's something that we would not have hesitated on. But then when we had him, the reason it took a few weeks was, we weren't going to lock ourselves in an unknown. You know, we knew a guy possibly of like Kirk Cousins was going to become available most likely in free agency. We also didn't have one win, so we thought we might have the first pick in the draft and a bunch of good quarterbacks are coming out. So we knew we were in a good situation and we weren't just going to jump in, hey, we got Jim, he's played in two games, let's sign him long term and just bypass maybe the first pick in the draft or someone like Kirk in free agency. Um, so we just played it out and see what would happen. And Jimmy went out there and played very well. And in the first game, I was extremely excited. The second game, I was even more excited. Uh, by the third game, I think, you know, we all kind of forgot about free agency and about the draft. And we're like, all right, uh, we can isolate on one guy right now. And we were very happy that it happened. By the third game, you were ready to hand him a contract that at that time would make him the highest paid quarterback in the game. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, we wanted a franchise quarterback and when they get to the market, that's how much they cost. And, but you got to decide on what those guys are. And we knew Jimmy had the ability to do it. And that's what he showed in college. That's what he showed in his two games playing. Um, but you never know till you get with someone. And yeah, I wish we could have him more than the five games he played. I wish we could have played him for three years before we did this, but, um, this is the situation we had and Jimmy, I didn't think it could be possible with the limited amount of time, him not knowing the offense, um, and the fact that we weren't playing very well at the time either. I didn't think it was going to be possible for him to go in and prove himself the way he did, but a credit to him and, the, and his teammates, he proved that, and we're very excited he did, and it's made things a lot easier going into this offseason. So what are your hopes for the 2018 season for Jimmy Garoppolo? I just want to improve. It's... um 
you know, I think he played very well um, last year, and everything went right. You know, we you know we hadn't won many games; we had only won one before he got in, and then we won five in a row with him. And that's a lot of success right there. And but I know it's not going to be like that all this year. There's going to be. I'm pretty confident to say we won't go undefeated. Um, if we do, well. congrats. <laughs> I mean, I hope I'm hope I'm wrong about that, but I'm not thinking that we will. And I'm looking forward to watching him play through a season. I know he's going to have some highs, and I know he's going to have some lows. And I want to see how he responds to it, how his teammates respond to it. And you know, playing quarterback in this league isn't just about how talented you are and how good you are. It's how you can respond to all this pressure that really not many people can relate to except probably an NFL quarterback. And I'm interested to watch him go through those growing pains and hopefully we can help him out with it and let him know he's not going through it alone. Um, but he's a good player and he's going to really help out San Francisco over the years. Had you not made that trade for Jimmy Garoppolo in late October, do you think it's fair to say that there was a good chance that Kirk Cousins would have wound up in San Francisco playing for the 49ers? I mean, I think I'm not, everyone knows how I feel about Kirk and I think I think most of the league feels that way. So I don't think that's anything different. I think anybody in free agency of anyone who needed a quarterback, if they thought they had a chance at Kirk, I know pretty sure every team in the league would have gone for him. So um, I don't think I was any different than anyone else. Um, I, I can't promise you that he would have been available, though, if we didn't get a quarterback either. So it's um, I'm really happy how it um, ended up for all sides. So you have no doubt, though, that Kirk Cousins will be the type of quarterback that the Vikings are hoping that they get. Well, yeah, he was on tape the whole time he was at Washington, and he'll continue to be the rest of his career. I think um, most people, there's no doubt in that. Kyle, we appreciate you joining us. Thank you very much for the time. Thanks, Adam. Fun much luck in the season. We'll be back in a moment with Vikings general manager Rick Spielman, but first, a word from him. Guys, here's the problem. 66% of men lose their hair by age 35. The thing is, when you start to notice hair loss, it's too late. It's easier to keep the hair you have than to replace the hair you've lost. Is that hairline slowly starting to move backwards? Are there any bald spots yet? How will you feel a year from now if it's business as usual up there? I ask you, do you want a bald spot to pop up or do you want something to do about it first? Why do guys turn to weird solutions or do nothing when they can turn to medicine and science? Well, here's the solution. 4hims.com, a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. Thanks to science, baldness can be optional. Hims connects you with the real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss. These are well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. No snake oil pills or gas station counter supplements. These are prescription solutions backed by science. No waiting room, no awkward doctor visits. Save hours by going to 4 It's so easy. Answer a few quick questions and a doctor will review and write you a prescription. Products are shipped directly to your door. Order now. My listeners get a trial month of Hims for just $5 today right now while supplies last. See website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. Go to 4 slash A-S. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash A-S. 4 slash A-S. From the man who would have considered signing Kirk Cousins to the man who actually did sign Kirk Cousins, Vikings general manager, Rick Spielman. Rick, did it feel like Christmas in March for you between Kirk Cousins on the offensive side of the football and Sheldon Richardson on the defensive side of the football? No, we were very excited to get those two additions. I know those were some of the target areas, you know, especially at the quarterback position to uh, try to solidify that position, bring some stability to our organization, and... Uh, to get a guy like Kirk, 
who uh, really is going to be on the open market like that. Uh, that was our number one priority uh, after we got the offensive coordinator hired. And then uh, also we wanted to solidify the three techniques. So those were the two main areas that we felt, you know, if we can get those in place and we can build around that. Take me back through the hunt for Kirk Cousins, the <laughs> pursuit of Kirk Cousins. It had to be a very lengthy, anxious, stressful process. What stood out about it? I think the, the the lengthy part was when we started the negotiation process. Once we were able to start, and I thought Mike McCartney did an outstanding job trying to navigate through all the activity that was probably happening on his phone at the time. So I think once we had that initial meeting with him, uh, I think it was Monday afternoon, uh, that we had a pretty good sense of that we were going to be into serious consideration uh as, as one of the teams he had a, a strong interest in. So as you're going through that, then you start to see Case Keenum get signed before, right. uh, you know, Sam Bradford, uh, then Teddy. Um, so we kind of, you know, honed in. And now as our other guys started, we started to lose our other guys uh, that we knew that. Um, and I had a pretty strong feeling that, you know, we were going to be able to land him. When did that strong feeling hit you? I think once uh, we were able to set up the first visit, you know, when Mike and Kirk uh, committed to us coming first, I think I knew once we were able to get in front of him, uh, get in front of our coaching staff, see, um, you know, U.S. Bank Stadium, see the new TCO Performance Center where we're going to be practicing in our new home. I think those were the selling points, uh, but it still comes down to the people and you know, getting in front of uh, Coach Filippo and our quarterbacks coach, Coach Stefanski, and, and Coach Zim. Uh, I think just our coaching staff and the team we have right now, that, that was going to be a, a huge settling point for Kirk. Was there a moment until that visit was set up where you wondered in bringing up these other quarterbacks that Case could be gone, Sam could be gone, Teddy could be gone, and the Vikings would be in a challenged position if they didn't land Kirk Cousins. We, we weren't going to put ourselves in that position. You know, once we start talking to uh, Mike, it was, okay, we have to know. If not, we're going to move on. We're not going to be stuck uh, at the altar without a bride or a, a groom. Uh, so once But what if he wasn't ready to give you that answer? Well, then, you know, that's a hypothetical that we would have had to deal with at the time. I don't know. I know, but I'm not going to share what we would have probably done. <laughs> right. Um, but I felt pretty strong about Kirk coming to Minnesota. You did? Yes. And did you get that sense from Mike and the visit? Like, what gave you that sense that he was going to wind up as a Viking? I think uh, just when during the Super Bowl, if a player uh, of that magnitude is going out and drive, driving out to see our new practice facility. Yeah. And... Uh, Going to see Winter Park, where we were at, and driving around neighborhoods, that's kind of an indication. I mean, that's you can't communicate, so you don't know what the heck he's thinking, but I don't think if he was not interested in the area specifically uh, or our facilities or anything like that, uh, that he may not took the time to do that. So you got reports from whoever it was that Kirk was scouting out the Minnesota area I, during the Super Bowl? I don't have the sources you have, but I have <laughs> some uh, some good intel myself. <laughs> And that gave you a comforting feeling to know that Kirk Cousins... I think it was just the start that, hey, he may be interested in us. You know, for him to to go out and do that on his own. um, That 
okay, this we may have a shot at this. So that's when, you know, but our number one priority at the time was getting the offensive coordinator hired once yeah. Pat took the New York uh, Giants job. And then once he got into place with the coach Steve Filippo, then we were able to start studying our quarterbacks versus options outside. And once we put that game plan in place, then felt confident on the uh, direction we needed to go. Here's a very broad, ambiguous question. What does Kirk Cousins bring to the Vikings? You know, I, I think we've sliced and diced it every way you can from an analytical standpoint. Um, you know, everything, what he brings, not only on the field, but what type of person he is, what type of leadership he's going to bring. And, you know, we don't look at him as coming in, let's say, being the savior of the organization. We've got a pretty strong football team. It's just another strong piece to add at, at a critical position. Um, but with the current team we have and, uh, you know, with us being able to stabilize that position with a caliber of player that Kirk brings to us that uh, we felt uh, very strong about making sure that happened. And that starts with our ownership and giving us the resources necessary to go out and do deals like that. Rick, with the deal like that, I'm sure it must be... Let me take you into your next lead question. <laughs> you want me to? So, Adam, let me talk. To you. Well, let me. Saying, you want me to lead the interview, and then I'll just answer yeah, a question ahead, myself. I say it must be very disappointing <laughs> to you to drive up the price on Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. <laughs> boy, yeah, him and and, and Matt Ryan. Boy, <laughs> breaks your heart to yeah, it does. damage financially, yeah, damage the Packers and Falcons, doesn't it? Well, I don't know what direction they're thinking or going into. I just knew we were focused on what we had to do for our organization. Tell me what the other three quarterbacks who are in Minnesota are going to bring to their organization, starting with Case Keenum in Denver. What is he going to do for the Broncos? You know, Case was a great leader for us. Um, you know, came in uh, just as, a, you know, competing for a backup job. And it's amazing when these quarterbacks get at this age, around that 28, 29, it's kind of when they start to hit their peak. And hopefully it's, it's when Drew Brees hit his peak uh, when he got out into mm. the market. So... Uh, but Case not only brings, you know, his ability to make some plays with his feet, uh, create plays uh, when the pocket breaks down or when the play breaks down, he can still go out there and make plays to help you win games. But I, I can't tell you enough on what Case mentor organization, not only his leadership in the locker room when he became the starter, uh, but also what he did out in our community. What is Sam Bradford going to bring to the Arizona Cardinals? Sam Bradford, uh, I think, is maybe the purest thrower i've ever been around ever ever uh he's got a great release uh what he did for our organization coming in eight days before the start of the season and his intelligence and his ability to adapt and pick up things and he picked up a system that he's never played in before and to have him go out and play like he did uh for us even though we had all those injuries including our head coach being down um and the leadership he showed two different styles of leadership but I think Sam, when he's out there and he took, you know, we had a lot of injuries up front at the offensive line and he took a pretty, a lot of significant shots and for him to get up and, and, and go at it again. And I don't think we would have had the same success, even though it wasn't successful with eight and eight, but I don't know if we would have won that many games uh, if we didn't have Sam Bradford at our quarterback. And what does Teddy Bridgewater bring to the New York Jets? Teddy is, uh, I can't say enough about Teddy. Uh, you know, not only when we drafted him, what he brought into our organization, how that locker room gravitated to him, 
uh, his playmaking ability on the field, but also, you know, the, the high character that he is off the field. And what a true inspirational story that is to have sub, such a significant injury and for him to battle back and, and to have faith that he was going to be able to get on the field again. Hmm. Uh, that's, I, I won't call it unique, but that's, that's a description of what Teddy Bridgewater brings. My last question for you, Rick. Am I going to get in trouble because I just talked about three quarterbacks with no, other different no, other teams? No, 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 no. You're, you're allowed. I think right. you're qualified as an expert in those three quarterbacks. But I'm not working for... And they've got long-term <laughs> contracts. You've got a quarterback. So no tampering charges here, Rick. We're good, I think. I, and, and if not, I will speak to somebody in the league office to make sure that there's no issues there. Always looking out for me. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, you played football at Southern Illinois from 83 to 86. And you went to camp with the Chargers in 87 and the Lions in 1988. Or oh, you dug deep into the... Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, <laughs> your research staff is excellent, by the way. Well, if thank you, you Rick. I appreciate that back. very much. Thank you. <laughs> but I know you probably studied that last night when you're up in your hotel room getting prepped for this. Uh... Rick, I've, I know what you ate for dinner the last 30 <laughs> days, okay? Back to your pursuit of Kirk Cousins. I have it all scattered out. I'm curious to know what you remember about going to training camp with the Chargers in 87 and the Lions in 88. <laughs> Two things with the Chargers. It was my first time I remember. Didn't last very long out there, but uh, lined up one on one versus Kellen Winslow, and I was like, "This is like fantasy." I mean, I've watched this guy growing up, and to try to sit there and and guard him in a in a one on one situation was and uh, Dan Fouts throwing a ball. That was uh, something that I'll never forget. And I think when I was up with Detroit, uh, just spending that time with my brother. And us two rooming together, uh, us two being in camp together, um, going through, you know, he was born with a change of direction. I always tell everybody I was born with the brains and the looks. So <laughs> everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, but just sharing that experience with him was something that, uh, that I'll never forget. And for those who don't know, Rick's brother is Chris Spielman, the longtime great linebacker for the Lions, who now does a great job on TV. But the funny thing is, Mike Zimmer told me that you were not born with the brains and the looks. (laughs) Everybody has a different opinion, I think. In my own mind, that's what I have. (laughs) Just let me keep going with that. (laughs) Hey, Rick, I appreciate taking some time. Congratulations on the offseason. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Staying in the NFC North, we go from Vikings general manager Rick Spielman to Detroit Lions head coach Matt Patricia. All right, Matt. My first question is, how does a guy from RPI, a hockey school in upstate New York, come to be an NFL head coach? It's a, it's a great question, uh, and I would categorize it as uh, Eastern New York. Eastern uh, New York. Geographically, I know everybody from the, you know down by the city area. <laughs> I live in central New York. That's where I grew up in the Syracuse area. It's a big state, so we like to just make sure we clarify that. But uh, We got that out of the way. Yeah, yeah we're good there. Um, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's really kind of been uh pretty pretty much amazing for me as far as the journey is concerned but um you know all of it has just been uh it's just been great i mean i think rpi obviously uh you know it was a great school great situation for me there um you know had opportunity to play football study engineering um you know work on my my aeronautical degree because i wanted to design planes and that's kind of my the avenue i was going but it just instilled so many things fundamentally about work ethic and um you know trying to problem solve and grind it out and and just work you know working hard so um i think that's kind of carried me through my career so when did the focus shift from designing airplanes to coaching football um good question so i you know i love planes i still love planes i just yeah i you know, fighter jets, anything. As soon as I can get up in one, I got to go. But um, 
for me, it was just, you know, when I got out and uh, I stayed a fifth year in school and started my MBA, um, I was kind of going the engineering MBA route and um, GA'd that first, you know, year out of school. I, I fell in love with coaching, really kind of made that transition from playing to coaching and, and the enjoyment. I got out of that part of it. And, um, you know, after that first uh, fall season of coaching, then, you know, it was time for me to get a job, as my mom told me. So uh Went out, got an engineering job, and, and it was great, and the opportunity was huge, and the money was great, but it just wasn't what I loved to do, you know. I just I remember that first fall uh, came around, and, you know, if you if you play sports in the fall, you get that, that smell of the fresh-cut grass, and, and just that whole training camp mode comes into play, and I just missed it too much, and I wanted to get back into it. So just started volunteering high school-wise, and, and anything I could do from uh, – semi-pro football and like i said high school and just being involved with the game and started volunteering at syracuse university because i was in that area uh with their strength staff um and just knew that that's what i wanted to do i wanted to be involved with the game again so what's the big breakthrough there because obviously you've come from there to where you are today as the head coach of the detroit Lions. everybody in their journey has key figures influential figures key moments what were those for you um Again, for me, it was just so around the time that, uh, you know, I was doing engineering for a couple of years and decided I wanted to um, really kind of pursue football. I was actually offered a, uh, a job uh, with a company called Westinghouse for a maintenance engineer for all nuclear submarines, uh, uh, aircraft carriers, United States Navy. Great job, nuclear field, huge field, a lot of money, the whole thing, which was awesome. Um, at the same time, my um, former offensive coordinator from college called and said he had a uh, $5,000 a year defensive line job and wanted to know if I was interested. So I had these two opportunities and, you know, nuclear engineering field, which was great, and my $5,000 a year defensive line job. And so uh, I just decided if I wasn't, if I didn't do it now, I was never going to do it. So I just quit, quit engineering, uh, took the job and, and started the journey. So what advice would you give to young people faced with a similar decision today? I think the biggest thing is, you know, I knew that I was very passionate about wanting to, uh, you know, to coach, to be around the game, to try to influence, um, you know, young people, especially at the time it was college age, you know, young men, because I thought it was such a uh, transitional part of their lives. You know, some of you really make a difference. And um, I knew at that point, if I didn't do it now, if I didn't make that decision to say, look, I'm going to I'm going to go all in on myself and just, you know, hopefully I can figure this out. If I didn't do it right then that I wasn't going to do it, I was going to, you know, which you know, I'm sure would have been fine in the engineering field, but it wasn't what I was truly passionate about. And, and just that opportunity to coach and teach and be around the guys and, you know, be a part of the game that I love was just that was the most important thing. So how do you get to the NFL level? Um, so then through my journey of uh, starting at Amherst College and kind of working my way up, um, finished my master's degree uh, during that time. Um, was able to kind of coach through a, uh, a couple stops, then wound up back at Syracuse University uh, with Coach Pascaloni, who I worked for there. He was the head coach. And um, after three years there, just kind of randomly sent my stuff out to teams. I really didn't know anybody in the NFL at all. And that time I thought Syracuse was where I was going to be. That was that was home. That's where I grew up. And, you know, if you grew up in that area, it's uh, Syracuse basketball, Syracuse football. Um, but I got a phone call uh, after I sent my stuff out from Brian Dable, who was at the Patriots at the time. And Dable and I had played college football against each other. So he kind of, you know, recognized my name, uh, saw the work that I had sent over to him. And uh, that's when the inquiry started. And there was a lot of people at the time at New England that had Syracuse ties. So Nick Carparelli, who was a Syracuse guy, and Mike Wosick and Ivan Fears, and all those guys that had uh, kind of been through New England from Syracuse a long time ago with Coach McPherson, 
uh, and kind of had circled back that then it just, you know, a little bit more inquiry to who I was and what I was about. And then I had the opportunity to go interview. So Brian Dable helps bring you to New England. He, he did. He was one. He and Josh, they were trying to figure out what to do with the opening that they had had. And he was the first person to call me. And then really Nick Carparelli, uh, who was there, is the one that kind of went in and, um, uh, you know, told Bill, hey, this is, you know, this is a great guy. When did the pencil go in the year? Uh, so probably relatively very shortly after I got to New England and uh, had to start drawing all those little X's and O's repeatedly uh, for about 12 hours on end uh, trying to break down a game. Just one of those things, again, going back to my engineering days, I always use mechanical pencils. I always I print. I always use pencil, you know, one of those things. And uh, I just found with the drawing of the game, the mechanical pencil just wasn't getting it done. It was just too much of a leeway between when you press it down and the lines. So... Uh, just the, the good old-fashioned number two sharpened to a real nice fine point was, was the perfect fit. And for those who don't know and can't see at home, Matt's now wearing a pencil <laughs> behind his right ear. And each moment I've seen him at the owners' meetings, did you wear the pencil to the party last night? I probably had it party? I probably had it somewhere on me. It's kind of like my wallet. It's like three things I check, my wallet, my phone, and the pencil to make sure I have it. So it's just that's kind of where, where I'm standard right now. You should consider having it glued to the side yeah. of your head yeah. so it would yeah. always be there yeah you know the problem with the pencil is i'm you know i'm i'm italian so i like to hug and you know uh, uh you got to be careful because if i'm coming in on the right uh and this thing's extra sharp sometimes you know you might you might get it in the side of the head have you ever poked anyone with the number two uh, you know what i mean unfortunately i think i've gotten a couple people it's not good <laughs> not good at all it's dangerous so i gotta have to ask you this question you lose the super bowl this year and then are introduced as the detroit lions head coach three days later how do you describe the range of emotions that occur from losing the biggest game of the year in a memorable fashion to getting the job that I would imagine, aside from designing planes, you always dreamed about getting? Yeah, um, yeah, obviously really painful memory. Um, so, Sorry. you know, come off that game uh, very uh, disappointed, very upset um, that uh, it didn't turn out differently. Um, you know, immediately I go once that situation uh, is over. I, you know, I, I go to my family to make sure that my wife, and my kids are okay, and I go to my players to make sure they're okay. And uh, you know, you just feel horrible about the way that it ended. You know, you put so much into the season and uh, everything on the line, one game, and that's what makes it great. And uh, you know, for me to be in that situation and just feel like you know, I didn't really, uh, we didn't get it done. I didn't get it done enough for those guys. Um, you know, there's a certain just kind of withdrawal you go through at that point. Um, Wake up the next day, everything, you know, comes rushing at you at a thousand miles an hour with the, with the job in Detroit and all of that. So you got to kind of, you know, compartmentalize, shift gears, make some decisions, uh, have another conversation with your family. And then, um, you kind of go back and you fly home and you deal with the situation. And again, you, you get that opportunity to say goodbye to everybody. You're still probably pretty upset about the game. You know, that will never go away. Um, you just, you know, you compartmentalize and move on. And then to have the opportunity to go to Detroit and, the reception uh, that that we had when we get, you know we got out there, Mrs. Ford and her family, and uh, you know Bob Quinn and, and Rod Wood. I mean, just the the open arms that they greeted us with, um, getting out there, and, and my kids and my wife. It was just uh, it just felt like home. It just kind of was those situations where it was like you know something bad happens, you go home, you get a nice hug, and you know you move on, and and that's what it was. And you just you know you go right into mode and trying to work and do everything you can uh, for them to make sure that you're 
building the organization in the right direction. So, um, it's a long answer, but you know, just that's kind of the emotions you go through. Uh, the, the game still really bothers me still, you know? Yeah. I mean, it always will. I, the 11 game still bothers me. The seven game still bothers me. So, uh, those three that you don't, you don't finish off the right way. Those, they hurt forever, but, uh, you hope to rebuild and you understand it's a, you know, it's a process and it's a, it's almost like a seasonal thing and you just get back on it and go again. If I could give you one thing back from the seven 11 or this past Super Bowl, what would you like to take back and change? One thing. Uh, one in each game because there's probably a specific, but uh, uh, just yeah. one that really galls at you all these years later. Yeah, you know, um, they're all very difficult. I, I will say this, uh, but I would say on the really sentimental part of it, you know, um, it's hard to pick one because you know, '07. The one thing I just wanted out of the '07, obviously, was a great year, uh, unbelievable year, magical year. Yeah. Uh, but a guy that to me really deserved that more than anybody was Junior Seau, and um, you just wanted that for him more than anything because that's what he deserved, and that's what he, you know, he was a champion, and and um, you know he should have had that game. And I always feel horrible that that he didn't have that. But you know, it's amazing about him is you see him after the game, you're at the hotel, whatever, and it's the biggest smile you could ever see, and the biggest hug, and and life is good. You know, that's just kind of who he was, and 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 how he acted, which always made you feel better in the end when you know you were really. You know, just wanted him to have that enjoyment. Um, and I'll say, uh, you know, this year was it was the first time in a Super Bowl where I had my kids at the game. Um, wow. And my my son, who was six at the time, uh, just I went running over to him after the game and he was, you know, destroyed, crying, uh, so upset. And he had to go into dad mode pretty quickly and make sure that he was he was OK. Let him know it's going to be all right. And that whole part of it so that was those were two big ones meanwhile my four-year-old's jumping up and down grabbing confetti as it's you know rolling down my six-year-old's yelling at him and you know he didn't you know he just wanted to grab confetti i'm like it's the wrong color buddy this is not a good time but um you know those are probably two moments out of that whole thing that just stick out and you brought up seven and this year is there anything from 11 that stands out to you that implicitly the way that those yeah. moments do you know the the thing about 11 there was a lot of learning with that team that was just a, a team that i thought really at least defensively, uh, overachieved the entire year and tried to really um, do everything the right way. And that was a, a, a week, really two weeks of preparation where I thought those guys just worked so hard, you know. And at the end of the game, it was one of those situations where I just felt collectively as the whole unit, um, you know, you just were sitting there going, wow, just for all the hard work that they did, uh, you wish they could have been the ones out there. And um, I do remember after the 11 game, though, in Indy, uh, sitting in the hallway, um of the locker room and all I, you know, purposely, I was just trying to, you know, come down from the game, but, uh, all I could hear was the celebration going out, out on the field. And, you know, uh, obviously they're singing New York and the whole thing. And, and just remembering, I, I do not want this feeling again. I got to do everything I can so that, um, you know, and I listen to it and I watch it and I, you know, I kind of put myself through that just to remind myself how hard it is and how much you have to just focus all the way through. So it served me well for two games after that, uh, that we were in 14 and 16. Mm. And, uh, you know, unfortunately I relearned the lesson this past year. Any sense of what it would mean to your new city to be able to bring a Super Bowl champion to Detroit? Yeah. I mean, it's such a, it's such a far off kind of, um, you know, concept, you, you, you want to just focus on the task at hand, right? That's correct. Kind of the, that's where we want a small picture. We're getting ahead of ourselves, but, I know. Yeah. But if you really think about it, I, I get back into that same mode that I had before where, um, man, this city just, they, they have treated me so well and are so open and are so excited 
that I instantly go to that pressure of I got to come through for these guys. I got to make sure that we win. I got to really try to do everything I can to um, give these guys all they can to celebrate and cheer for. And um, if we can do that, man, I would just love to see everybody's face and the, the you know, the excitement, the energy, uh, you know, the togetherness that I think football brings. It brings everybody together in that, you know, one spirit where we're all cheering for the, for the same thing. And it gives hope and all the rest of it to all those people that I know in a wonderful city that's just a hardworking, blue-collar, you know, city that I, you know, I appreciate that aspect of it. I appreciate hard work. I appreciate guys that get up and, um, you know, women that get up every day and go to work and just, you know, grind it out for their families. And um, to be able to do that would be amazing. It would be great to poke a lot of people in the face with the number two pencil after a Super Bowl victory. I mean, I would try to avoid it so everybody could see the celebration. That would make sure, you know, I didn't get him right in the eye. But, yeah, be good. Matt, thanks for the time today. Lots of luck in the season ahead. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. Always good to see you. Thank you. All right. Special thanks to 49ers head coach Kyle Shanahan. Vikings General Manager Rick Spielman and Detroit Lions Head Coach Matt Patricia for joining this week's podcast. Join us again next week. We'll be back with another edition of the Adam Schefter Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody.